John told me he was going to pinch the baby if I used the long form of my service today. I told him I was going to do it because we had so many Baptists in our congregation. I wanted to show them what we believed. <laughs> We're very grateful to have this little, little brother in our congregation now. Today our lesson is going to be taken from the oldest book in the Bible, is the book of Job, and it deals with probably the, well, the oldest problem of man is sin, and the next oldest problem of man is why the innocent suffer. And the book of Job is one of the most interesting of all of the books in the Bible. It is written in the form of a drama. This week I read all 42 chapters of it. I read 30 chapters at one sitting. And if you read it in one of these new translations, it's amazing how meaningful uh, it can be to you. Now, I must admit that the very beginning and the very ending of the book of Job are my favorite parts of it. The speeches get a little long, but it is an interesting and powerful book, and I commend it to your attention and hope that you will read it. It is an important part of God's Word. So now I'm reading from today's English version, the book of Job, chapter 1, verse 1 following. There was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He worshipped God and was faithful to him. He was a good man, careful not to do anything evil. He had seven sons and three daughters and owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 1,000 head of cattle, and 500 donkeys. He also had a large number of servants and was by far the richest man in the east. His sons used to take turns in giving a feast to which all the others would come, and they always invited their three sisters to join them. After each feast was over, Job would get up early the next morning and offer sacrifices in order to purify his children. He always did this because he thought that one of them might have sinned by insulting God unintentionally. When the day came for the heavenly beings to appear before the Lord, Satan was there among them. And the Lord asked him, What have you been doing? And Satan answered, I have been walking here and there and roaming around the earth. The Lord said, Did you notice my servant Job? There is no one on earth as faithful and good as he is. He worships me and is careful not to do anything evil. Satan replied, Would Job worship you if he got nothing out of it? You have protected him and his family and everything he owns. You bless everything he touches. You have given him enough cattle to fill the whole country. But now suppose you take away everything he has. He will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, All right, everything he has is in your power, but you must not hurt Job himself. So Satan left. One day when Job's children were having a feast in the home of their oldest brother, a messenger came running to Job. We were plowing in the fields with the cattle, he said, and the donkeys were in a nearby pasture. Suddenly the Sabaeans attacked and stole them all. They killed every one of your servants except me, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Before he finished speaking, another servant came and said, Lightning struck the sheep and the shepherds and killed them all. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Before he finished speaking, another servant came and said, Three bands of Chaldean raiders attacked us. They took away the camels. They killed all your servants except me, and I only am escaped to tell you. Before he finished speaking, another servant came and said, 
Your children were having a feast at the home of your oldest son when a storm swept him from the desert. It blew the house down. It killed them all. I only am escaped to tell you. Then Job got up, tore his garments in grief. He shaved his head and threw himself downward on the ground. He said, I was born with nothing and I will die with nothing. The Lord gave and now the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In spite of everything that had happened, Job did not sin by blaming God. Amen. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. Name, O God, our Father, that thou hast placed the solitary in families, and that thou hast given us not only the joy of earthly ties, but that thou hast bound together in the great family of God the church of the Lord Jesus, wherein we who truly believe may call each other brother and sister and feel that presence and that love which Christ and the Holy Spirit can work in our minds and hearts and bearing with one another's burdens and encouraging one another. Help us, therefore, Father, to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep and to shoulder our part of the responsibility of the concern of the family and not to break it. Bless thy church universal, we pray. All who know and adore and love and serve our Lord Jesus as Savior and Lord, be with and bless thy church in its ministry to the world. We thank thee, our Father, especially this year for the work of the Key 73 program. We ask that many doors may be opened to many hearts and that the saving message of Christ may have its effect on many homes especially in our North American continent, in its great need. We pray, O oh God, for the church in Gatlinburg today and for the churches throughout the Synod of Appalachia that are met there through their young people, seeking to discover your will for the lives of many who search their hearts as they think of the world mission of the church to take the gospel to the remotest corners of the earth, to preach, and to seek to help many in your name. Bless those young people who are there assembled. Bless Paul Little as he speaks this morning. Use his message to the aid of many a heart, we pray, and grant that many a young person may come into a new, deeper devotion and dedication to thee, and that some who have never yielded their life to thee may come into a saving faith today, and that all may be blessed and built up in the faith as a result of that meeting in that place. O God, our Father, we thank Thee for the ministry of the film, Time to Run, and we pray for those who have labored and worked for its progress in our area here. We ask that its message may be beneficial, especially to our young people, frustrated and confused by so many voices that speak to them, May this film speak a word from thee and draw many to a saving faith in Christ and encourage others who know and love Jesus already. Father, we pray for our school, for its administration and staff and faculty, for each member of the student body and the homes from which they come. We pray for our church here in Montreat and for its ministry in our community and in our area. We ask that you will bless it. This week, O oh God, we praise thee for the gift of thy servant Martha Thayer, 
and for the fact that thou hast taken her into thy presence now, and that for her all suffering and affliction are now past, we rejoice in the victory which is hers, and we thank thee for the gift of her life, and pray that thou wilt bless those members of her family, her little class in school, and those who loved her and who will miss her. Will you grant to them a sense of your comfort and strength, we pray. Will you, O God, our Father, help us to remember that here in this earth we have no abiding city. Help us to know that this earth is not our final home nor our final destiny. Help us, O God, to remember that these mortal bodies are but to be the servants of our immortal souls. Help us, O God, to so surrender our moments and our days unto thee that we may live in a way that shall truly bring honor to your name. Help us to sense the meaning of the gift of life and how precious it is and to use it to your glory. We ask all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Our second lesson is a continuation of the story of Job, just the first ten verses of chapter 2. When the day came for the heavenly beings to appear before the Lord again, Satan was there among them. And the Lord asked him, Where have you been? And Satan answered, I have been walking here and there, roaming around the earth. And the Lord asked him, Did you notice my servant Job? There is no one on earth as faithful and good as he is. He worships me and is careful not to do anything evil. You persuaded me to let you attack him for no reason at all. But Job is still as faithful as ever. Satan replied, A man will give up everything in order to stay alive. But now suppose you hurt his body. He will curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, All right, he is in your power, but you are not to kill him. Then Satan left the Lord's presence and made sores to break out over all Job's body. And Job went and sat by the garbage dump and took a piece of broken pottery to scrape his sores. His wife came to him and said, You are still as faithful as ever, aren't you? Why don't you curse God and die? Job answered, You're talking nonsense. When God sends us something good, we welcome it. How can we complain when he sends us trouble? Even in all this suffering, Job did not say anything against God. May God bless to our hearts this reading from his word. And now let us worship God with our gifts. O oh God, our Heavenly Father, we thank thee for the privilege of living in these exciting days. And we pray that thou wilt help us to be truer than ever to Jesus Christ and to the gospel. We do bless thee for the privilege we have not only of giving our lives to his service, but bringing back a part of our tangible assets, our money, and putting them in a collection plate and praying that you will guide their use and see to it that the money is used really to glorify Christ. And now, O God, will you grant that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts may really be acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen.
I'll never forget one night attending a Bible lecture on the book of Job. And the Bible teacher, to the great astonishment of all of us present, said that to me, one of the sweetest promises in all of the Bible was given by Satan. And when he said that, I was shocked. He said, really, among the most precious words in Scripture are some words that came from the devil. And I thought, what on earth is he talking about? And then he quoted Satan in that colloquy with God where Satan says to God of Job, you have built a hedge about him. In other words, that nothing, no power of the devil could touch God's servant Job apart from God's permission. Martin Luther used to say, as only Martin Luther could say things, that it is very important to remember that the devil is God's devil. He cannot do anything apart from the permission of God. And therefore here we come to this ancient problem of why do the innocent suffer? Why do good people suffer? Here we find a man who whose name is, is proverbial in the testing and trials of life. First of all, there comes to him, and he does not know about what's going on in the courts of heaven. He only knows about what's going on in his own soul. He is a man who is greatly prosperous with his thousands of camels and donkeys and sheep, one of the richest men in all of the East, who has a beautiful family of seven sons and three daughters, Job has much to be thankful for. And if you notice in Job's story, you will read those words that when his sons and his daughters are feasting and dancing and making merry, that Job arises early in the morning and he offers up sacrifices and prayers for he thinks that maybe one of them has sinned against God. And whatever there is taught to us in that first chapter of the book of Job, if we are concerned as Christian parents about our children, then maybe we ought to take a lesson from Job here and be certain to it that no night ever falls nor no day ever rises but what we do not pray for our children. What do we pray for when we pray for our children? What do we dread most of all happening to them? Do we dread most of all that they might become sick and die? Do we dread most of all that they may not be the smartest in school? Do we dread most of all that they may not ever achieve any great position of authority and power? What should we dread most of all? I think we should dread most of all that they should not know Christ as Savior and Lord. These sacred vows which were assumed in our presence just a few moments ago are vows for which every person who is subscribed to them was, must one day give an account to Almighty God that we promise to rear our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that we are to set before them a godly example, that we are to teach them the principles of our holy faith. Have we assumed those vows? And if we have, have we kept them? And Job rose up early and offered sacrifices and he made prayers to God in behalf of his children. He feared lest they should sin against God, and he wanted to make his prayers to God in their behalf. 
Now look at the trials that, comes to, that come to Job. First of all, there is the loss of property. St. Paul is later to say in the New Testament, and Job has no knowledge of what will happen later on, only the, the glimmer of light that has come to him from God. But St. Paul later on will say, we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we will take nothing out of it. We brought nothing into this world, and we will take nothing out of it. First of all, there is the loss of Job's property. Satan comes before God and says to God, and I've heard so many people say this, oh, I'd be a Christian too if I had a house like that or a car like this. You wouldn't. You'd be worse, far worse. That's a lie of the devil to slander man to God. The devil comes before God and says to God, when God says, have you considered my servant Job, that there is no one in all the earth like Job is? Not only does Job seek positively to do what is righteous, but Job fears to do evil. Are you afraid to do evil? This is the righteousness of Job, and Satan says, ha, look at all the stuff he's got. Look at his 7,000 sheep. Look at his 3,000 camels, look at his oxen and his donkeys, look at all of that. If I had all of that, or if anyone had all of that, he'd worship you. Take all of it away, and you'll see that he'll curse you to your face. And so God says to Satan, all right, you can take it away. And first of all, he loses his property. It's all gone. There comes a messenger running swiftly with the news that bandits, marauders have come in and they have stolen away the cattle and the sheep. They have stolen away all of the oxen, all of the donkeys, all of his livestock is gone. Swiftly, other messengers come with succeeding news of what has happened to him. What if you lost everything that you possessed? What difference would it really make in your devotion to Jesus Christ? I've known people who have great amounts of money. Some of them are among the sorriest individuals I've ever seen. Some of them are good people who love God and who bear it very humbly. Prosperity is a, is a tremendous test of character. The Chinese have a, have a famous slogan. It says that those who bear a full cup must have a steady hand. Well, here is the test of property and it's all taken away. There can be tests that come to us when property goes. I was reading not long ago Hyde Park in, uh, of an, uh, an incident that took place in Hyde Park in London. This is the place where all the babblers go. Those of you who have been to London, I remember going down to Hyde Park and you hear a communist and you hear uh, a socialist and you hear all the people making speeches. And once in a while, you'll come down and you'll hear a Christian preacher standing on some box speaking to a little crowd of people gathered around. And on one occasion, one Christian uh, preacher, street preacher, was standing there preaching away. And he was interrupted. He was interrupted by a communist. And the communist said to him these words, Shut up that nonsense. Don't talk such rubbish. The situation of our gut is that is that we are all governed by economic laws and Jesus Christ has no power to help us in solving our economic difficulties. 
Go and talk to the unemployed like that and see what they say to you when the, the minister was speaking of salvation in Christ. There was no answer and there was a hush in the crowd. And then a little man pushed his way through the crowd and he turned to them and said, I'd like to answer that. He said, I'm unemployed and I'm poor and I have a wife and three children. But if you take Jesus Christ out of my life, then I have nothing left. He is greater than my poverty, and I love him. He is greater than my poverty, and I love him. When Job's property was all gone, he could still bless the name of the Lord. He could still bless the name of the Lord and say, when I came into this world, I was naked. I will go back away from this world with nothing. And he could bless the name of God. I remember once reading about J.C. Penney, whom God entrusted with a great amount of money, the largest chain of department stores on the whole planet Earth. In the Depression, he was rudely awakened to the fact that he was many, many millions of dollars in debt. His advisors came to him and told him that there was no possible way that he could ever recover. He thought of the thousands upon thousands of employees that would be without jobs. Under the strain of it all, he was about to break down from a nervous standpoint, and he went to Battle Creek, Michigan, to the Kellogg Sanitarium. And while he was there, broken in spirit and heart and thinking of all of his possessions going away, and of all of the people who had depended upon him, so nervous that he could not eat, so depressed that he could see no joy, he heard out in the lobby of the hotel there on a Sunday evening a hymn being sung, Be not dismayed, whate'er betide, God will take care of you. And he said he crept up closer to where he could listen. And as he listened to the words of that old familiar hymn, he thought of his father, who had been a preacher, and of the gospel which his father had preached. And he thought that he could sustain that loss if God called upon him to sustain it. In the providence of God, he felt that when he was tested to that point, God let his assets come back again. And he certainly sought to use them in a way that would bring honor to the name of God. There is the loss of family and loved ones. It was one thing to be told that all of his livestock was gone. But then there comes swiftly the news that a great storm had moved in, something like a tornado, and it demolished the house where all of the children had gathered at a party where their elder brother had given a party. And they were all killed. And in this sadness that filled his heart at that particular time, Job is again gripped by a great test. There is sorrow that comes. What if today you receive the news that the person whom you loved more than any other person on earth was suddenly dead? And you had to go and look at their stiff, lifeless form. How would you feel? Could you say what Job has said? The Lord hath given and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Sure, he was full of sorrow. He shaved his head and he put on sackcloth 
and he fell down to the earth and he bled. But he blessed God with his bleeding heart. He blessed God with the sorrow through which he had passed. The loss of his friends. Lately I've talked with people who are in sorrow. There always seems to be that shock that comes when you realize that they're gone. And something of the finality of it all. That you'll never hear that voice again. You'll never, never, never hear that footstep again. Not on this earth. And then there is guilt that comes. Oh God, if I only had this time last week or the week before, this time last year, five years ago, if I could only do this over again, how different things would be. And then after this, there comes a sort of hostility. Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to me? And Job is in shock. Job is heartbroken, but he goes with his broken heart to God in prayer. He takes his broken heart there. We are to sanctify unto God the distress which we feel. A while ago we sung the hymn numbered 400, O love that will not let me go. All of us know the story of George Matheson. Those of us who are Presbyterian in background, I used to walk through the Royal Infirmary's grounds when I went to New College in Edinburgh. And when I would go through the Royal Infirmary, I thought of how one day George Matheson had come out of an eye specialist's office reeling beneath the impact of the words which he had heard that eye doctor tell him that his sight, which had been very delicate, was now about to go away and that he would have to go through life in a blinded state, and how George Matheson ached. He was the son of a very wealthy father. He had notable gifts as a scholar. He was engaged to be married, and that engagement was to be broken off because his loved one did not wish to go through life with a blind man. George Matheson was ordained to the ministry in the western part of Scotland, and in Ellen. And there, amongst strict Highlanders, George Matheson began his ministry with one of his sisters who assisted him and helped him, the blind preacher of Scotland. George Matheson came to a point in depression and despair so great that he went before his presbytery and asked that they divest him from the ministry. He said, I, I no longer believe in God. I no longer believe in nothing. And the Highlanders are strict. But they said to, to him, you're a very young man. And you're in great pain. And the wounds are fresh. And we will not take your resignation. We want you to think about what you're doing. And in the dark night of his soul, he came back to a tremendous faith in Christ and in God and wrote those words, O light that followest all my way, I yield my flickering torch to thee. My heart restores its borrowed ray that in thine sunshine's blaze its day may brighter, fairer be. And all the world has been blessed through the suffering of that man, George Matheson. He surrendered his loss to the Lord. And then there comes the loss of health. 
Satan, in his great calumny against this servant of God, says to, to God, Oh, you've taken away his houses and his lands and his cattle and his family. But really, Job is a very selfish person. And if you touch his own physical body, and he aches with pain, in his pain he will curse you. And so Satan is permitted to touch Job's body. And there come upon him those terrible boils. And he is in fever and in great pain. And added to his pain, the one person left who would have brought comfort to him, his wife, comes. And she begins to work on him. If you wives ever start to nag, remember Job's boils. They were nothing until his wife lit into it. Uh, she begins to speak. Now, I'd like to say this much in her behalf. If you had lost ten children and saw and you had seen all of the possessions that you had gone away and still your husband is faithful to God, she hurt, she missed the children, she missed all that there was there, and so she came to Job and said, Job, you would be better off dead. Just curse God and then he'll kill you. Get it over with. How many times have I heard people say, well, she'd be better off dead, he'd be better off dead. Job didn't even think about suicide. In all of his suffering, he didn't even think about it. She says, curse God and die. And Job replied to her and said, oh, foolish woman, senseless woman, when I have received of God's hand bounty, and I thanked him for it. Can I now curse him because this has come upon me? He didn't know all that was going on in the courts of heaven. He had no New Testament, no resurrection from the dead did he know about. But in all of this sorrow, he knew that God still somehow would work good out of it. And then, of course, come Job's three friends. Here is an interesting thing. I'll never forget when I was in seminary, one of my friends came to me, one of my old teachers said to me when I was going off to take my first church over in Waynesville, and I, would, I went around to each one of the professors, and I said, now what kind of advice would you give me as a young pastor going? And I'll never forget what one of them said. Oh, Dr. George Manfred Gutsky. He had an enormous mind and a great love of the Bible and a great ability to communicate it and teach it. Dr. Gutsky said, uh, you're going to be called upon to go into homes where tragedy has occurred and where there is death. And Job's friends really blessed Job when they came and sat silently for that seven-day period. But they ruined it all when they started making speeches. He said, sometimes people will hurt so much that the best thing you can do is just remain silent, just remain silent until the right moment comes. And Job's friends came, and they sat with him those seven long days. They, too, had anointed themselves with ashes and put upon their bodies sackcloth, and they wished to identify themselves in his suffering and in his mourning. Then after that period had passed, they began their long speeches. 
And they take up about 30 chapters with their long speeches, 28 chapters of Job replying to them. And then another friend, Elihu, comes, a youngest one of all. And you see the great dialogues that take place there. And then in the very end, the very end of it all, God speaks. Job had begun to curse the day that he was born. He never cursed God, but he wished he never had been born. And then one day God spoke. God spoke out of the whirlwind. And God spoke to Job and said to him, Where were you, Job, when the stars were flung into their orbits? Where were you, Job, when the earth was created? And then God begins to speak to him of all the wonders in creation. And then Job says to his everlasting credit, he said, I am silenced, I put my hand to my mouth. There is nothing more that I can say, I humble myself. And then Job was instructed by God to pray for his friends. To pray for his friends. And when he prayed for his friends, God blessed Job and restored everything to Job again. There's a lesson there for us to learn. If you want to really be a warrior in prayer, then pray for other people more than you pray for yourself. Pray for them. Pray for their needs. Have a long prayer list and pray over it. Pray over people who are in trouble and in need. Michelangelo used to attach a candle, a candle uh, sort of like a, a, a coal miner's cap would be. And the reason that he put that light up on his forehead was so that his shadow would not fall across a canvas that he was painting. He wanted to get his shadow out of it. And we need to do this to get selfish things out of our prayers and to pray for others. When Job did, then God brought back great blessings. And the end of the story of Job is a very beautiful ending when everything is restored to him again twice over and God blesses him. Now then, we who have the benefits of the New Testament have far greater blessings than Job ever had. We have a knowledge of Christ and an assurance of salvation that Job could only faintly know about in the deep echo of his soul. But Job could say, I know that my Redeemer liveth. He could say that he knew that he would stand at that latter day. But we have the assurance of the empty tomb. We have the assurance of the risen Christ. We have the gracious comfort of the Holy Spirit to teach us and to guide us. We have all of the New Testament and its example for our instruction. And how much more should we be assured of our salvation in the midst of trouble? and in the midst of the loss of property or family and loved ones or of health. There was an old Scottish lady who was visited by a very young minister. They were talking about the assurance of salvation. And the young minister said, no one can really be sure that he is saved. And the old lady said, I'm sure that I'm saved. I'm saved by the blood of Christ, and I trust in him totally and completely. He is my Savior and Lord, and I trust in what he's done. Then the young minister said to her, but just suppose 
that when your life is all over, you will be greatly surprised and God lets you sink into hell. What would you do then? The old woman replied, if God did that, he would lose more than I would. I would only lose my soul, but he would lose his good name. I've trusted him, and he'll keep me, and that which I've committed unto him against that day. Last week, last Monday morning, Martha Thayer went to be with the Lord. I went up to Little Falls, New Jersey, to a Methodist church in a cold, snowy, icy night. And I was amazed at the number of people who came to the service. Here was a young woman who with learning disabilities and spastic type afflictions had more battles to fight than most of us ever know in a whole lifetime. And yet while she was a student right here at Montreat Anderson College, she gave her heart and her life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If I had been a betting man, I would have bet a million dollars and Martha Thayer would have never made it through college. I remember the first time she came to my office, I thought this poor pitiful thing, how on earth did she ever get here? Now I didn't think she could make it through school and it was very difficult for her. She made it through our college, she went to Bellhaven College, she had difficulty and failed and had to drop out. She had to go to work in a factory and earn enough money to go back because there was a feeling even on her father's part that she really couldn't make it through. And he was an educator. But she was determined to prove to him that she could make it through school. Christ had come into her heart by now and her dedication to that goal was assisted by the fellowship of Christ. I've had her telephone me when she was dissolved in tears and on the brink of suicide. And yet she held fast in all of that gloom because of her faith in Jesus Christ. And then a week ago, tomorrow, the Lord called her unto himself. And there in her home in Little Falls, New Jersey, I looked at a basket full of letters and cards. There was a special delivery letter, handwritten by a Negro family outside of Marion. She taught a second grade class there. This Negro family had sent an airmail special delivery letter and told how Miss Thayer had visited in their home and how much the children loved her. They told how much they would miss her. And then they went on to say, but we know that she is in the Father's house. I saw letter after letter after letter. I never dreamed that Martha did all of that. But she did. She got about as much mileage as she could get out of the limited ability that she had because she yielded it to the Lordship of Christ. On her old car, she used to have a bumper sticker said, wise men still seek him. She tried in her way to point others to the Lord Jesus Christ, whom she knew 
and whom she trusted as Savior and Lord. If Martha was alive and well enough to be here, she'd be right here this morning. You saw her here every Sunday, even when she was so sick she could hardly move around, always at prayer meeting. She would say to everyone, and she would want me to say, and that's why I went up there to New Jersey. I knew she'd want me to go. And when they asked me, I took it as a sign from God to go. She would want those who do not know Jesus Christ to come to know him in a saving relationship and to trust him as Savior and Lord. Here is one who is greater than poverty, one who is greater than the loss of loved ones and friends, one who is greater than the loss of health, and one who gives to us eternal life now and happiness forever with him. Let us stand in prayer. <clears throat> oh God, our Father, it may be that there is some person here this morning who is right on the verge of yielding his or her life to the conscious lordship of Jesus Christ. None of us would have dreamed a week ago that Martha would be gone today. None of us know how many days or years our lives shall be. But help us, O God, to come to Jesus not only for the gift of salvation for eternity, but for what he means as Lord and Master of our lives now, just to know him and love him and adore him and to serve him. We thank you, Father, for many valiant souls who listen on the radio today who have known years of suffering and pain, for many who have suffered hard losses, but help us to know that you love us with a love that will not let us go. And help us to trust in that love to accomplish your purposes for good as we have surrendered ourselves to you. And grandfather, that today in our own hearts we may make a high resolve to yield ourselves more completely to you. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our teacher and our guide, be and abide with every one of you, both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.